Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Now, from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio, the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong, and Joe Getty. Joey, baby! Things are getting weird, and they're getting weird fast. Armstrong and Getty. But I know this, they're loco. Everyone knows it. If the dramatics could come down just a little bit. And now, he is Armstrong and Getty. We're talking about this today. Disney filed a lawsuit against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for waging a, quote, relentless campaign to weaponize government power against the company. Yeah. In an official statement, the head of Disney's legal team said, (laughs) Hey, um, we mentioned Tucker Carlson lost his job for, at least in part, calling a female executive the C-word. This story just came out. ESPN has fired a Major League Baseball reporter who's a woman, mm-hmm. Marley Rivera, for calling a fellow reporter a blanking C. So, once again, the C word is undefeated. To call a woman that word in the workplace, you will lose your job. I just think it's good to know. Be you man, woman, gay, or straight. I exactly. appreciate the equality. Yeah, the equity. Uh, you know what's funny is that's it's not a big deal at all in the U.K., the C word. It's it's like saying dudes or blokes or whatever. These three blanks I'm hanging out with. I need better friends. Ah. It is interesting words that we assign special powers to where like you can say all kinds of horrible things or you can have a long descriptor that would be uh everything that's attached to that word. Oh yeah. You are an uncooperative um uh no, 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 no. Mean, yeah. stupid, unethical, blah, blah, blah. All the words that that word describes. Not a tenth the power of the word, though. For, for, Which is absurd. It's interesting. I mean, I get why some ru- words are considered rude. Um, that's more than interesting. Why don't you work on normalizing the C word? See how it goes for you. Well, well I don't have to in the UK, like I said. Mm. That's why it's so weird. But do they, is there a word in, in like, that I could say in, 
in England that I think is kind of innocuous, but in Great Britain it'd be fighting words that I'm Probably. unaware of. Almost certainly, yeah. I can't think of one offhand. But, mm. uh, yeah, almost certainly. Oh, hey, what hour did we do the the scientific study about uh, trans uh, or sex change procedures for uh, youth? Was that hour two or three? Of I the believe show? it was the bottom of hour two. Okay, grab that podcast, please, please, please. And I'm not just trying to promote the show. It's a, an effort by scientific paper to say, hey, can we stop shouting slogans at each other and look at the science and the outcomes of permanent procedures on confused children? And it does that, and it is incredibly important. So anyway, grab that. Uh, speaking of the world of science, a couple of studies that I found interesting in different ways. The first one is nearly half of concussion patients still have brain injury symptoms six months later, which is kind of scary. We're so at the beginning of understanding the human brain. I mean, we've come a long way, we, the human beings and science and the rest of it, but we're still in in our toddlerhood at best. Uh, Scientists assert that even mild concussions can cause long-term lasting effects on the brain. Uh, researchers from Cambridge University discovered that in nearly one out of every two patients who sustained a head injury, there are alterations in the way different brain regions communicate with each other. This can potentially lead to long-term symptoms such as fatigue and cognitive impairment. Hmm, I know I had a real good concussion in eighth grade. Uh, never diagnosed, but I'm positive it was a... Uh, and I just, I've always wondered if what that did to me. It pro- explains everything, probably. Well, I've had, I had a handful of them, a uh, couple of them diagnosed, one or two not diagnosed, but uh, at least two or three where I like, they were bad enough. I went into shock and started to vomit and stuff like that. So they're pr- pretty good blows to the brain. Do they have ways of grading them? I mean, do they, do they give them like a class one or a? That's a great question. Like, I don't know. They should. Um, uh, I've got a, a, an old uh, golf buddy who listens sometimes who is a neurologist. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll email him. And we'll talk about it again tomorrow. But anyway, I, I have a truly tragic, um, sad inability to recall things unless I'm reminded of them. Um, you know, high school capers that my buddies will tell me about. And sometimes I have a vague memory of them. Sometimes I don't have any at all. Things my kids did and said. And it breaks my heart. Oh. Um, I I have a tragic inability to remember that stuff. Well, if I see pictures and videos, that helps. Emotionally, it helps, but it, it makes me even it, it it makes me very very sad to even talk about it. But that's got to be related to um, all those concussions. It didn't do you any good. No, no. I might let my. 11-year-old play tackle football this fall because he really wants to. I think about that a lot. Yeah. Repetition of blows to your head. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I also would have hated it, despised it, and resented it if I wasn't allowed to do the things I was doing that got me those concussions as a youngster. Cage fighting. Well, yeah, of course. That's my thing. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's hard. Life's hard. I don't know. You grew Everybody up in Thailand. Takes blows and gets injured. You grew up in Thailand, grade school, uh, cage fighting. Yeah, but I could kill a man with my left foot. <laughs> my right foot, I could kill a town. 
But I hold it back, Jack, because I'm a compassionate man. Yeah. So anyway, you would, so you would, you yeah. would, looking back over your life, you would rather have played uh, hockey, baseball, whatever, and have the concussions than not, and not had the concussions. Oh yeah, I mean, I like to ride my bike really fast and and execute various maneuvers <laughs> into walls. Well, and I I wiped out and got a hell of a concussion once. Uh, mm. Bounced my head off the pavement. Oh yeah, jeez, my my son was trying to wheelie the other day and went over backwards without a helmet on. And uh, said, you got to wear the helmet. You just got to. Of course, when we grew up, nobody wore helmets, nope. including me. Um, and, you know, I, I was playing with buddies. I was probably 12 years old, 13 years old, uh, playing on a slide at a park, and I fell off. Bang, right on my head. That was a good one. But so, yeah, what if my parents had said, yeah, we're not going to let you ride your bike fast anymore, I might have run away. Um, so, I don't know. Life's funny that way. Anyway, uh, study number two, unless you have more on that topic. Okay. Study number two, this one cracked me up. Walking the dog is far more dangerous than you might realize, according to Johns Hopkins. Was that a bit of cynicism I heard from you right there? (laughs) Yeah, that that headline might as well be, people say when I walk my dog, my boobs are too big. (laughs) Clickbait? Is that what you're suggesting, sir? How dare you? How dare you? (laughs) This is absolutely hilarious. This is the opposite of that previous study, which is just so thought-provoking and the rest of it. This actually got to print. The researchers found an estimated 422,000 adults sought treatment in U.S. emergency room from injuries resulting from leash-dependent dog walking from 2001 to 2020. Okay. All right. So it's it's about 423,000 over 20 years. Okay, so if it were 10 years, let's take a tenth of that, that's 43,000. But you got to cut that in half again, so we'll call it 22,000. We'll be generous. 22,000 in a year, 340 million people in America, nearly all of these were old folks who stumbled and fell and hurt themselves and needed some sort of treatment. And the headline is, Walking the Dog Far More Dangerous Than You Might Realize. Yeah. <laughs> Again, what are you going to wrap yourself in bubble wrap and in, in, inside a, a, a veal calf cage or what? I remember years ago, I was, uh, Gla- does Gladys play the harp anymore or did we re- fire her and we replaced her with AI? Was she still here? Oh, that's right. She unionized. She unionized, and it's just She's her. striking. That's right. She's the only one. Yeah. Um, uh, I was rollerblading. I was letting my dog pull me on my rollerblades, and then he saw a squirrel, and he darted right in front of me, and I went over and wrapped up my legs, and I went down so hard. Oh. So, yes, walking the dog can be very dangerous. Or rollerblading with the dog. <laughs> or making your dog pull you on your rollerblade. <laughs> Did you have a whip or anything, or crop? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> eh, anyway. So your point is it's not quite as dangerous as the headline led you <laughs> Yes, that's my point. Okay. Yes, it's not at all dangerous. And that's a stupid study that shouldn't have been done. <sighs> I hate stuff like that. What's that? Uh, studies that come out. They get, uh, you know, the drive-by media stuff that Rush Limbaugh used to complain about all the time. Studies, health studies about... 
you know, this causes a heart attack or that'll ruin your eyes or whatever the heck it is or causes injuries to kids or whatever. And it's just, it's a, it's a one-off study that was barely done and it's inaccurately reported. And then another layer of inaccuracy on top of it as they reported on the Today Show. And All we, right. And yeah. We talk about it for 10 minutes and move on to the next thing. Just, eh, there's too much of that. Well, my favorite one is uh, the study that says this causes, uh, this triples your risk of Alzheimer's. Right. From 1 in 50 million to 3 in 50 million. Right. Not to make light of that terrible, terrible condition, but heart disease, whatever. It goes from, it's, you're never going to get it, to, nah, you're never going to get it. <laughs> I'm strong and get it. That's not inspiring. It's not fair. It seems irresponsible. It's cold. You know, it's not a victory. It's a, it's a surrender. It doesn't even, it's, it's, it's so childish. It's so juvenile. Yeah. Upper yeah, ego. this is great. We Armstrong and Getty. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I'm on a roll of being extra self-righteous today, and I can't decide if I should get off that horse or just continue riding it into the self-righteous sunset. (laughs) I don't know if you got a groove going. Let that groove go. But um, I smell a rat to a certain extent in the fact that the New York Times and the USA Today both have their big cover story articles about homelessness in California the same day. That seems a little 
coordinated. It's like when you flip on the cable news and and every politician from one party is using exactly the same phrase, and you know yes. that they were sent a you know a cover sheet of what to say. Somebody I don't know from the homelessness industrial complex that is worth many billions of dollars uh, got USA Today and New York Times to do a big article about homelessness in California the same day. Anyway, I was complaining about the article in New York Times and that they never mention at any point drug addiction. Doesn't even you know not not at any point. And, uh, and, and talk about how people can't afford to live where they live. And, you know, the homeless shelters won't allow to have dogs. So, it, so they have to live in the rain and all these different sort of things. This one in the USA Today also pisses me off. They have this nice looking blonde, young blonde girl on the cover of USA Today in the headline. For many, being homeless is a world of in between. And they describe this chick's situation. She's 28 years old. Her last steady residence was her college dorm. Okay, so first thing you think is she went to college. How'd she end up Mm -hmm. homeless? She's tried for years to find an apartment she can't afford and sometimes sleeps in her grandmother's garage in Culver City, California. That's your focus person for the awfulness of homelessness. Culver City, if you're not from the L.A. area and don't know, is situated between Beverly Hills, Marina del Rey, and Santa Monica. One of the more expensive parts of the world to live in. (laughs) She can't afford to live yes. there with whatever college degree she got, and so she sleeps in her grandmother's garage, which ain't exactly homeless. Um, so I just feel like as a society, if we're going to have discussions about homelessness, we got to start dividing these things out or have a criteria. I'll, I'm willing to go with any story that includes, you know, you're, you had a health cost that bankrupted you, and now you can't afford to live. But it also better include you looked for a job somewhere where it's cheaper to live. Maybe it's because I moved around as a lot as a kid that that it bothers me so much that people feel like they have a God-given right to live in some of the most expensive cities in America, no matter their you know their qualifications for a job or the cost of an apartment or anything. You can't possibly go live somewhere else that's cheaper. You gotta live in San Francisco or San Diego or wherever, no matter what. Because I just can't afford a five thousand square foot apartment overlooking Central Park on Park Avenue. It's a tragedy, an American tragedy. Yeah, how how narrow do you want to focus it? Yeah, that I'm I'm only willing to live. On uh, Central Park West. I'm not willing to live anywhere else. And I can't afford any of these places. They're very expensive. So that's why I'm on the street. And why haven't you provided me a shelter yet, taxpayer? Yeah, I know. Every time we talk about this, people say, it's expensive to move. It's hard if you're poor. I'm sure it is. Do you know why I moved from Kansas City to Hayes, Kansas? Because I couldn't afford to live in Kansas City anymore with the job skills that I had. So I moved to a place where it was really freaking cheap to live. Yeah. Why Why does nobody do that anymore? You don't have a right to live in San Diego. It's cool to live in San Diego. It'd be awesome if you could afford it. But if you can't afford it, you got to live somewhere else. Yeah, I know. I know. How is that not even a paragraph in any of these discussions? <sighs> I'd love to spend an hour inside the head of a progressive person who won't even mention drug addiction for instance or the fact that these are the most expensive places on earth or be honest about the fact that many people come to these beautiful locations partly because they're beautiful and partly because they have lavish services for people living in tents etc 
Um, I would love to know how your brain works. Are you willfully ignoring that? Is it is it like I push off my own mortality? I'm aware of it, but I prefer not to dwell on it. Or are you completely unaware of it? Or, or, or are you completely aware of it and you're just being dishonest because you think I have to be dishonest to get the right thing to happen? How does your brain work? Well, uh, maybe, you know, I, I, I am fairly uh, hard-hearted toward, uh, you know, um, finding a way to survive in the world. Um, but your, your feature person, the most sympathetic person you can come up with to put as a picture on the front top of the fold on USA Today is a 28-year-old who went to college who wants to live in a really expensive city but has to sleep in her grandma's garage. That's the most sympathetic character you can come up with. Boo freaking who? And not exactly, you know, uh, uh, touching my heartstrings there. So yeah. you combine the crowd that's their drug addicts. That's how they ended up homeless. Okay, that's a problem. we got to figure out as a society what to do with that. But that's a difference. And then you combine that with the, but I want to live someplace cool crowd. Okay. But if you can't afford to live someplace cool, that ain't my fault. No, no, indeed. I'm strong and petty. That's not inspiring. It's not fair. It seems irresponsible. It's cold. You know, it's not a victory. It's a, it's a surrender. It's, 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 it's so childish. It's so juvenile. Yeah, upper yeah, end. Yeah, this is great. Wee! This is the. It's time to take your body care routine to the next level. Introducing Osea's bestseller body care set, the perfect companion for your summer travels. This four-piece kit transforms dry skin to silky, soft, and glowing. It features travel sizes of Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil and Body Butter, clinically proven to improve skin elasticity, along with their anti-aging body balm and salts-of-the-earth body scrub. And to top it off, it's packed in a vegan leather bag, making it a must-have for all your summer adventures. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat yourself to glowing, healthy skin this summer with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, you can get the best seller's body care set valued at $78 for 33% off. Use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com code SUMMER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. 
players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. There's an absolutely fabulous piece of journalism in the New York Times. When the New York Times isn't being incredibly annoying and biased, they do terrific work. Um, Similar to 60 Minutes. When they're not being annoying and biased, they're great. Yeah, Eli Saslow uh, writing this piece, A Sandwich Shop, A Tent City in an American Crisis. And I'm going to read chunks of it to you just because it's so very good. Uh, It affected me deeply reading this over the weekend. And we'll post it in its entirety at armstrongandgetty.com. Give you a link if you want to read the whole thing. It's pretty long. But it's the story of Joe Filacci and his wife who have worked at the same sandwich shop for four decades. He's now 69 years old. His wife's just slightly younger. And uh, they describe how he pulls up to the old station subs in the morning with no idea what to expect. Parked on a street lined with three dozen tents, grabbed a pepper spray and unlocked the door to his restaurant. The peace sign was still hanging above the entryway. Fake flowers remained undisturbed on every table. He picked up the phone and dialed his wife and business partner, Debbie. All clear. Everything looks good. You sure? No issues? She asked. What's going on with the neighbors? He looked out the window toward Madison Street, which had become the center of one of the largest homeless encampments in the country, with as many as 1,100 people sleeping outdoors. 1,100 people. So he goes, like, to see if it's safe enough for his wife to come in to work at their shop. Every day. Wow. Way to protect the the citizens. The business they've spent their entire lives building. Yeah. On this February morning, he could see a half dozen men pressed around a roaring fire. A young woman was lying in the middle of the street, wrapped beneath a canvas advertising banner. A man was weaving down the sidewalk in the direction of Joe's restaurant with a saw, muttering to himself, then stopping to urinate a dozen feet from Joe's outdoor tables. It's the usual chaos and suffering, he told Debbie, but the restaurant's still standing. Which has seemed like an open question uh, each morning for the last three years. The epidemic of homelessness, etc. They go in the into the uh, the pandemic. Uh, cities across the West have been transformed by a housing crisis, a mental health crisis, and an opioid epidemic. All of which landed on the at the doorsteps of small businesses already reaching a breaking point because of the pandemic. Listen to this. In Seattle, more than twenty three hundred businesses had left downtown since the beginning of twenty twenty. This story's about Phoenix, but they're doing a little survey around America. Wow, that's incredible. A group of fed-up small business owners in Santa Monica, California, had hung a banner on the city's promenade that read, Santa Monica is not safe. Crime, depravity, outdoor mental asylum. And in Phoenix, where the number of people living on the streets has more than tripled since 2016, businesses had begun hiring private security firms to guard their property and lawyers to file a lawsuit against the city for failing to manage a great humanitarian crisis. The city says, look, we're pouring money into this like crazy. What do you want us to do? But I like, uh, the, philo- this, I like the sign that says outdoor mental institution. That is what it Here's is. The the reality for the Falachis, they'd signed onto the lawsuit as plaintiffs. They also bought an extra mop to deal with the daily flow of human waste, replaced eight shattered windows with plexiglass, installed a wrought iron fence around their property, and continued opening their doors at exactly 8 o'clock each morning to greet the first customer of the day. 
Then they go into typical day. A woman walks in, walks up to the counter, carrying a garbage bag. I need to place a huge order. I own a Dairy Queen. Or I own Dairy Queen. Debbie asks, playing along. Oh, wow. Which one? All of them. I'm the queen of the queen. That's (laughs) wonderful, Debbie said. As she led the woman to a table, etc., etc., would you like me to take an order? Debbie asked. You know why I'm here, the woman said, suddenly banging her fist on the table. Don't patronize me. The king needs his payment. Oh, boy. She refilled the woman's water and walked behind the counter to find Joe. So a person that's either mentally ill or on drugs or they ruined their brain because of drugs. Yeah. Then they go into the fact that she, Debbie, has been begging him, we've got to get out of here. This is killing me. The stress is killing me. But their entire plan, as they get to later, and they busted their asses their entire life to build this sandwich shop. Their plan was to build it, sell it, and retire on the proceeds. But as they get into later in the article, people uh, are interested in the business, then they come and see it. Oh, and sure. they see what's around How the hell it, and they gonna... drive away. Oh, yeah, you can't sell that. Not for any amount of money that you'd want to get out of it. And they go into some detail on the crazy lady and her interactions, and it gives you a sense, if you've ever dealt with people like this, of how stressful it can be, because you don't know, are they going to wander away? Are they going to stay all day and frighten your customers? Are they going to commit an act of violence? Are they about to stab me? Right. Right. The restaurant was located a half mile from Arizona's state capital in an industrial neighborhood, warehouses and crisscrossing train tracks, etc., uh, it attracted a small number of transients through the years. Over the years, Joe and Debbie came to know many by name, listened to their stories of evictions, medical debt, mental illness, and addiction. Together, they agreed that it was their job to be Christly, to offer not only compassion, but help. Then they go into a fair amount of detail. They opened the restroom. They they got people water. They cashed unemployment and disability checks at wow. no cost. Wow. They, They've gone way beyond like what I would do. To try to they help hired homeless people and convicts and whatever, did anything they could, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. But the homeless population in Phoenix continued, continued to grow by hundreds each year, even as the city's supply of shelter beds remained relatively flat, and the federal court ruling, the disastrous Boise ruling, in 2018 required places with no shelter capacity to allow some camping in public spaces. The city's average rent rose by more than 80% during the pandemic. I, Joe Getty, have never denied rising rents has a role in this, but a lot of activists say it is the main thing, and it's absolutely not. That's not true. A wave of evictions drove more people from their homes, et cetera, et cetera. Soon there were hundreds of people sleeping within a few blocks of the sandwich shop, old station, most of them suffering from mental illness or substance abuse as they lived out their private lives within public view of the restaurant. So that's, they slept, that's, that's the New York Times saying most of them suffer from substance abuse or mental illness? Correct. Yeah. Yes, most. They slept on Joe and Debbie's outdoor tables, defecated on their back porch, smoked methamphetamine in their parking lot, washed clothes in their bathroom sink, pilfered bread and jar- gallon jars of pickles from their delivery trucks, had sex on their patio, masturbated within view of their employees, Ew. and lit fires for warmth that burned down palm trees and scared away customers. Finally, Joe and Debbie could think of nothing else to do but to start calling their city councilman, the city manager, the mayor, the governor, the police. And then they go into a bunch of different calls. Um, 
Got a guy outside who's naked, trespassing, knows some serious help. They're throwing rocks from across the street at our windows, breaking and entering, vandalism, harassment. I'm probably leaving some stuff out. She's swinging a pipe at our customers. Would you consider that normal? These are a bunch of quotes. It's a fire the size of my house. My customers are trying to eat and they can't even breathe. Gunshots, shouting. It goes on all day. God, that is incredible. It's a bakery? It's a sandwich shop. Sandwich shop, right. Yeah. Sandwich mm-hmm. shop. Yeah. You know, I'd like to get a BLT, but uh, that guy masturbating him over there has really kind of put me off my, yeah. my lunch. So. Yeah. They go into the hundreds, the thousands of calls for help that go on within a couple of blocks. Woman sprawled on her sidewalk with her face against the pavement for hours, not even moving, and she calls 911. I'm concerned. Well, you go check her. Oh, wow. We have no time. Wow. That ruling by, was it one judge in Boise? Yeah, I believe so. That yeah. might be one of the most consequential rulings in many decades. Talking about this uh, this family that's been trying to run a sandwich shop for, for decades now, and they're just about to retire, and their dreams are all being ruined by the, the junkie camp next door. Um, and they profile this guy, Kip, who's 65 years old, carrying his bucket and 10-foot window washing pole. In the last year, he'd lost his business to heroin addiction, his apartment to eviction, and his truck to an accident. Now he's working to get clean, leaving his tent at 5.30 each morning uh, for an appointment at a methadone clinic before riding the city bus to businesses to clean windows for as little as 3 bucks each. He had washed 268 windows in the last month, wasn't anywhere near getting back on his feet. Um... So he instead settled into an encampment so immense that it operated as its own separate economy. Blue fentanyl pills sold for $2, and anyone could trade a decent pair of shoes for a week's supply of methamphetamine. A group of young people, young men in the encampment had begun selling off pieces of the public sidewalk, charging each person $20 a week for what they called lot rent and security. Wow, so we're going to allow criminal gangs to own and sell parts of the sidewalk but if the city says no it belongs to us so get off of it that's not okay right exactly yeah well said that seemed ridiculous to kip until he decided not to pay and awoke one night to the smell of someone dousing his tent with lighter fuel about to burn him alive in it and they go on that fashion um Joe came into work the next morning, this is the proprietor of the sandwich shop, and saw a bag of drugs in the road, human waste on the sidewalk, a pit bull wandering the street, and blood-soaked napkins blowing toward his restaurant patio, where he and Debbie were scheduled to meet with a real estate agent about the future of Old Station. Debbie still insisted she was ready to be done with the restaurant. Joe didn't want to run it without her, but he also didn't want to board it up and walk away with nothing. They'd spent the past several months exploring a compromise, seeing if they could sell the business and retire together. They asked their agent, are they getting any bites? The takeaway is, yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people think, wow, what a great business, a long-time business. Then they take a look at it and the junkie camp next door, and they drive away as fast as they can. Of course, there's no way you'd buy that place. Not for anything close to what it's worth. And they go into how they built the success of this place by being the the friendly. We greet every customer. We joke with them at the cash register. It's a we're you're a part of our family. We're a part of yours type effort for decades now. It's all going to hell. 
Uh, they don't have a pension. Their plan had always been to invest in the business, sell it, and use the money to retire. Now they don't know what they're going to do. And they go into the very poignant back and forth between Joe and his wife, Debbie, about how she's just exhausted and afraid. And he's begging her to hang on a little while longer to see if it turns around. It's just sad. Then he goes to visit his buddy, the art gallery owner, who who describes himself as a bleeding heart and has tried to help all these people. And they go paragraph after paragraph about how, and person after person after person of how he tried to help them, but they just stole from him till he had to kick him out or they died or whatever. And just they ran through his generosity like water through a sieve. I mean, and finally, uh, oh, uh, he says, this is uh, Joel, not Joe, but Joel, the gallery owner. Not a lot of happy endings here these days. He took out his phone, handed it to Joe, and hit play on a video that he recorded a few nights earlier from the window of his upstairs apartment. There were 26 broken streetlights in the encampment because of vandalism and wire theft. So the video was dark except for the reflection of police lights, which illuminated one man being handcuffed and another lying dead on the ground. My wife and I were relaxing after dinner, all fat and happy, and then it was bap, 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 bap. Joel said, did you hit the floor? Joe asked. Well, yeah, we have our castle dark and our fortress strong, but it's becoming crazy. Our fence got caught the other night. There was a woman in our yard screaming and yelling her head off in Spanish. Um, I'm realizing here lately that we're living in a friggin' hell hole. Us, us, them, inside, outside. Who's it working for? When does it stop? Not yet, said his friend. It's hard to believe, but they're telling me it's going to get worse. Then they go into another pistol-waving incident and how Joe comes in in the morning and there was a gunshot as he was opening the restaurant and he's struggling with how to tell his wife about it without scaring her even more. And she shows up finally. Wow, tough morning, she asked. He took her inside the restaurant while he tried to come up with the right words. It was only one shot. The restaurant was still standing. They'd run Old Station together for 37 years. Maybe they could hang on for a while longer. But instead, Joe put his hand on her shoulder and he told her the only thing that felt true. The whole thing's a disaster, he said. I get it. It's okay. I understand why you're done. Well, what a sad story that is. So the takeaway, and we don't really have time for this, is the idea that the solution will be painless or gentle or sweet is completely fanciful and idiotic. We need to enforce the law. We need to make it miserable to be a junkie on the streets. And I'll tell you what I mean. I'm not talking about anything horrific or fascist or anything like that. We need to enforce the law. And the ACLU is mentioned several times in this story, opposing every single sane and reasonable measure to get these people off the streets. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast 
NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So speaking of ways to make a living, this headline caught my eye. Return to office enters the desperation phase. According to the New York Times, the next stage of getting workers back at their desks uh, away from remote work uh, includes incentives like $10 to the charity of their choice. $10. And consequences like poor performance evaluations if they don't make the trek in. Well, and they give a bunch of examples. Go ahead. That, that's consequential. You know, a poor evaluation that might cost you your job is, you know, a pretty big stick. Not much of a carrot to offer 10 bucks to the charity of your yeah. choice, which, by the way, is seven dollars in 2019 money uh let's see oh okay so they did a poor job of explaining that it's actually uh for a 10-day period it will give ten dollars per day on behalf of any employee who comes into the office okay, so 100 fine, u.s dollars jack how, how much are you going to change your life for your your company donated 100 bucks to a charity for you so they uh very little so they start how about i i just donate the hundred dollars and i just don't come into the office because I, I hate it and i continue to work in my underwear from home exactly yeah uh so they give the example of this chief executive of seattle-based ai sales company he has to repeat himself over and over again uh the engineers remind him of their commutes the working parents remind him of school pickup times and he replies over and over again being near each other makes us work better. We get better ideas. We can interrupt each other in person like we can't on a Zoom call. The ideas come much more quickly, blah, blah, blah. 
But for tens of millions of office workers, it's been three years of scatter, scattershot plans for returning to in-person work, summoning people in, not really meaning it, pretty much everybody pretty much working wherever they pleased. Now, for the umpteenth time, businesses are ready to get serious. Yeah. Wave of companies called workers back this spring and summer. Disney said four days a week. Amazon swung with three, prompting a walkout from its corporate workers. Meta and Lyft are saying now September, we're all coming back. Others have devised other tactics. Blah, blah, blah. Google, which has asked most workers to be in the office three days a week, announced that performance reviews could take into account lengthy, unexplained absences from the office. So originally the story was people are actually more productive from home, and this has just hastened something that was going to happen anyway. Is now the story we got to try the experiment, it doesn't work, and it'll never happen? Huh. That's an interesting question. I think a hybrid thing is developing as as the best way to go forward. It's like, here, here's a metaphor for you. You turn your kids loose in the mall, and you tell them, you each know what you want. Go find the best deal on the best product. And for the first hour, it goes great. Then four hours later, when you haven't seen them, and God knows what they're up to, mm-hmm. and now they're buying stuff they don't need with your credit card, and it's just, you need to check in. You know, and, and it's so funny, it's so typical of media wanting to leap to some giant conclusion about some societal change. You know, the, the answer to all that stuff, uh, it, it, more productivity, blah, 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 the answer to all this stuff's got to be, let's see, let's see how it evolves, mm-hmm. let's see what happens. Um. The 9 to 5 workday is dead, wrote Salesforce in a 2021 memo. An immersive workspace is no longer limited to a desk in our towers, blah, blah, blah. Well, it was very much alive on a recent Monday in Salesforce Tower in New York as a hum of activity filled the 41-story building. Uh, workforce is really, immer- I'm sorry, Salesforce has really uh, embraced. you got to come back to the office. Interesting. And they know better than I do what's most productive. Yeah. Yeah. Scattered throughout the office, Jack, you ought to work for Salesforce because I know how much you love this sort of thing. Scattered throughout the office were the company's animal mascots. Brandy the Fox represents marketing. Astro the astronaut sat behind a piano in the 41st floor lounge. Cody the bear stood guard near the developers. So each department has an animal mascot. Isn't that great? They have an actual bear? (laughs) I'm not sure that would, that might motivate me. (laughs) <laughs> Motivation to run. <laughs> no, I believe it is bestuffed. Okay. Well, anyway, I just... I, Have I, that I, paper in by Thursday at 3, or we're releasing a bear. DocuSign, which has 6,500 employees spread across the globe, became a poster child for the lurching back and forth over return to office planning. And they go into their uh, uh, ups and downs, and the employees just saying, nuh-uh. Armstrong and Getty. Bring some milk, bring some milk, bring some milk. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. This is a crisis. It's 100 on the crazy meter. This is a mess. And everyone knows it. Let me say, let me say one thing. Hey, lots of luck in your senior year. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. Every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.